Hello and welcome. James Kenny here, and this is my podcast, Land of the Golden Sunset, the evolution of the Irish from biblical times. This is episode number two, entitled Over 1,000 Years of Milesian Rule in Ireland. This covers a period from 1698 BC to 195 AD. This review now includes an original title song, written and performed by yours truly. As this podcast is not supported by advertising, you can, if you wish, become a patron by visiting landofthegoldensunset.bodbean.com. I hope you like this. Milesians came seeking the land of the golden sunset, which their kinsman, Gedalius, was promised they would rule over. As a child, Gedalius was bitten by a poisonous serpent. His father, Neul, the younger son of the king of Scythia, carried the dying child to Moses in the Israelites' camp and implored the Holy One to touch his son with his mystical rod, which he said, if it would bring water from a rock or stone, it could surely extract the venom from the child's wound. Moses touched the affected part of Gedalius and said some words of prayer over him. The sick child stirred, opened his eyes, arose, and was miraculously healed. Moses now told Neul, that it would be advisable for his son Gedalius to seek out the island in the path of the golden sunset, to the west, where no venomous snakes could survive. When Neil returned home with Gedalius and related all that happened and told of the advice given by Moses about the island in the path of the golden sunset, his uncle Ith remembered when he was exploring the waters and coast around such an island, in the west, which he said was remarkably enchanting and seemed to beckon him. But when he tried to land on the shore to explore it, he was attacked by the natives and driven off. The magnetism of this island kept drawing it back, so he set out again in a stronger boat with a crew of oarsmen and warriors, accompanied by his son Logade. Eventually, They sighted the island again and rowed their boat to a sheltered cove with plans to check it out. Disembarking, it and his band of warriors carefully crossed the land to a grove of willow trees. Fearing they could be attacked, they safely positioned themselves and devised a plan that in such an event they would split up and return to the boat. They had not proceeded far into the woods when they were set upon by native warriors, and a fierce struggle took place. Eventually, they had to withdraw and retreat to their boat. Most of them were gravely wounded, but they still managed to launch the boat and felt safe once they had put many waves of the sea between themselves and the shore. However, it was so gravely wounded that he died on the journey home. When Lugade realised that the expedition had failed and that his father had been killed, he plotted to revenge him. 
But first he summoned the entire Milesian tribe for the funeral. No sooner was one funeral over than another began. The patriarch, Milet, died, and at his funeral, further plans were discussed to return and invade the island some day in great strength and numbers. So the recently widowed Queen Scota placed herself at the head of an expedition of 30 galleys, each having 20 oarsmen, and including her eight sons, Heber the Fair, Heber the Brown, Amergan, Kalpa, Heramon, and Er, together with Eber and Eremon. At the end of the 4th century BC, it is generally taken and accepted that adventurers came to Ireland from the valley of the river Danube and from all the lands to the west of the river Po, the Alps, and parts of Central Europe and Spain. They were successors of an earlier Stone Age people who were made up of nomadic tribes, answerable to a chieftain acting out the definition of the name Celt, meaning warrior. However, it is agreed also that the Milesians sailed from Spain, where they had lived for generations, but were not Spanish. They were now fully equipped to reach the promised land of the golden sunset, having journeyed from land to land over many generations, from the shores of Asia across southern Europe, to fulfil their destiny. But the conquest was not to be an easy victory for the Milesians. First, the elements turned against them, when fierce gales blew their galleys on the rocks and swamped them, causing the loss of several boats and the deaths of some princes and chiefs and their wives and oarsmen. The remainder of the galleys and their crews of oarsmen were blown in all directions and, unable to control the boats in the high waves and gale-force winds, they rowed for shelter and put into land eventually wherever they could. Some landed at the mouth of the River Boyne, where they had to fight native tribes on shore to save themselves. Others, in their galleys, landed in Kerry, where the natives engaged them in a fierce battle in Atlen near Tralee. The Milesians, with their superior weapons and training, soon were victorious. But no victory celebration could take place when it was discovered that their aged Queen Mother, Scotia, was slain in the fierce fighting in the Battle of Slievemish. A funeral was arranged, and many days of mourning followed. Then a royal cairn was prepared in Glenscutin, and after much sorrow, the body of Scotia was reverently laid in the cairn, which is located in a partially wooded valley situated in the eastern foothills of Slievemish, south of Tralee. The final battle to establish themselves was fought at Talton in the county Meath, where once more the Milesians were victorious with their superior weapons and skills. When the din of battle was over, they entered negotiations with the conquered native tribes. But the defeated Firbolog and Tuhadedanan were not altogether powerless and demanded treaties in their favour, which were granted. They could regulate their own internal affairs according to their own custom and laws, but could not vote in the selection of a sovereign unless by special leave. 
These conquered ancient clans of the Firbolug and Tuhade Danann continued to cause serious problems by their hostility for generations. But the Milesians also had internal feuding. When the brothers Heber and Heremon could not agree to rotate the sovereignty by alternating the position of chief or Taoiseach, and decided to match their strength in a pitched battle, which went on from the hour of the rising sun to the evening of the golden sunset, when Heber, the fair one, was slain. Heremon now became the ruler and established a dynasty that lasted for over a thousand years of Milesian rule on the island from 1698 BC to AD 195, when Art Enfar, the 112th High King of Ireland, died. Milesian had ruled apart from a short period of time in history when a widespread conspiracy was organised to overthrow them. It happened at a time when Carbre King Coit was the 99th monarch of the island of Ireland. Even though he was regarded as a very fair ruler, the old bloods of the Firbolog and Tuhade Donan always grumbled among themselves at not having a say in appointing a sovereign. So they devised a plan for the overthrow of the Milesians. They oversaw the annually held Games Festival, which took place every year in a different section of the island. They announced the grand gathering of all the various clans to be held in the first week of the summer season at Ma Bulg, or Moy Belog, in County Meath. When the Milesians arrived, they were directed to a hollow, set aside and specially chosen for them by the Fir Bullog. They had no sooner settled in when they were set upon, and even though they put up a brave fight, they were unprepared for such a treacherous battle. They fought for their lives, but lost. The only survivors were three young mothers, who were helped to escape by a young sympathiser who objected to the cruel takeover of authority. He spirited the young mothers away, including Etna, and put them on a boat bound for Albion or Scotland, carrying them and their three unborn princes to safety. Etna Imgale was the daughter of Imgale Elderus Pictish, chieftain of Scotland. Etna and the two other women were the only three to survive the Battle of Mabolog against the Firbolg and Tuhade Donan, in which her husband and Tuhal's father, Fiaku Fonalok, was killed. The pregnant Etna fled to her father in Scotland, where her son Tuhal was born. When Tuhal Tokhtmar, around AD 56 to 106, grew up and became a trained warrior, he was joined by his mother and friends in an expedition to Ireland, where they landed at Inber Down, where, by arrangement, they were met by local clan who elected Tuhal as high chieftain and followed him into battle to regain his father's throne, eventually winning the struggle against Elin, king of Ulster, in the Battle of Achill near Tara. The other two mothers who escaped were Gribna, 
daughter of the king of Britain and wife of the king of Munster, and Aonia, daughter of the king of Saxons and wife of the king of Ulster. Very soon, the Firbolg and the Tuatha Dé placed one of their own on the vacant throne, where he reigned as Carbre the First. Economic complexity was now possible because people had become so good at growing crops and raising animals that farmers could produce more than they needed for their own survival. Civilizations with complex economies started to appear and the important meaning of complex here is that people don't have to produce their own food. To organize the distribution of food, this early civilization invented writing. Some of the first examples which have been discovered are lists of deliveries of crops by farmers. Once the king's officials could write things down, then the king could take his share of what people produced. In other words, tax them. Okay, that's the economics of the time. So let's go back to the Milesians. Carbera the first, nine to fourteen A.D., reigned for five years, during which time crops failed, cows did not give milk, and there were no fish in the rivers. When he died, his son Moran was offered the crown, but refused to accept it, and made known his reasons, saying, "It was unjustly taken from the Milesians by force and slaughter, and should be returned." to the rightful princes. Meanwhile, the young princes, sons of the three survivors, were growing to splendid manhood and were well educated. The Firbolg and Tuatha Dé having discussed Moran's refusal and his suggestion, gave him authority to carry the message to the princes, inviting them to return. The three young princes discussed among themselves the opportunity offered by Moran. They held a conference at which the firstborn, Feradacht Finfecht Nock, the righteous, was crowned High King from 14 to 36 AD, and Moran was then chosen as the chief judge of Erin. There are references by writers of ancient Rome giving testimony to the high position Ireland held under Feradacht as the most civilised and learned nation of antiquity, even in an age which was truly barbaric elsewhere in the world. The early civilization of pagan Ireland could not be compared to that of northern and western Europe at that time because of gold mining and smelting and artistic work which was carried on in many precious metals. But the jewel in the crown for Ireland was the progressive civilization of the celebrated institution of Fesh Tara, or Triennial Parliament of Tara. Society was classed by an education system even then. In this classification, men of learned were classified by law and ranked next to royalty in this period of civilization. The Ordre of Aaron, Oloi Fiola, regularly summoned to his assembly 
all his subordinate royal princes, chiefs and other notables to designate their areas. He appointed a chieftain over every townsland answerable to the King of Ireland. This Irish king of the Fir Bullock clan died after a reign of more than 10 years. His real name was Ockid I, but he is known in history as Ulai Fiola. 1907 to 1897 BC, which translated is the lawgiver of Ireland. He was the first king to establish a system of justice in Ireland. No rain fell during his reign, only dew, and there was a harvest every year. Royal Tara was not alone a royal palace, the residence of the high king of Erin, but also the entire hill and slopes of Tara were covered with buildings which included the legislative chambers, the military buildings, the law courts and royal university. The law governing this period, until the advent of Christianity, was known as the Brehon Law. Immediately on the establishment of Christianity, there was appointed a royal commission to advise on the statute laws of Ern and to purge them of everything applicable to a pagan nation. The Triennial Parliament of Tara was in existence for 1,000 years preceding the Christian era, where in addition to the function of government, one of the principal objects of the assemblage was to preserve historic and family descent of all the Milesian Irish clans and families. At these assemblies, it was the custom for each chief or head of a clan to hang his shield over his seat and each shield was emblazoned with a heraldic symbol to represent some brave deed or praiseworthy act. The Red Hand of Ulster is regarded as being the oldest and most renowned of all the Irish armorial symbols. It dates from the landing of the sons of Milesius, or the Milesians. According to tradition, two of the chieftains made a bet with each other that the hand of the one to touch the shore first should have the right to rule over the land. From their galley, they embarked into two small boats and rowed ferociously towards land. On seeing his rival gaining on him, Er, the youngest, drew his sword and cutting off his left hand, he flung with all his strength the blood-dripping hand which hit the land, thus claiming victory and the land, which then became known as Erland, and the blood-red-hand symbol, the badge of his descendants forevermore. The emblem of the red hand has for centuries become a crest of the O'Neills. However, the right-hand emblem is today used on the flag of Ulster, while the red hand, or the red left hand, is on the crest of Siptu, the Irish trade union. We are told that during the long-continued migration of the Milesians from the east, they sojourned for a time in North Africa before arriving in Spain. While there, legend tells us that one of the princes, while out hunting, single-handedly killed three lions. This deed of bravery is ever after perpetuated in heraldic history. The last five kings to reign in this period before Christ were Nudat-Necht, 64 to 63 BC. He came to power after killing his predecessor, Etherscale, 
and ruled for six months, at the end of which he was killed by Aetherscale's son, Conor Moore. He is an ancestor of Finn McEwell. His son, Bassanya, was the great-great-grandfather of Fionn. Conor Moore from BC 63 to 33, his reign of 30 years is said to be mainly peaceful. Lugaid Riov Naderg from 33 to 13 BC came to power after a five-year interregnum following the death of Conor Moore. His foster father was the Ulster hero Cú Cullen. Con Cabar Abradrud from 13 to 12 BC succeeded to the throne after the death of Lugaid Riov Naderic and ruled for a year, at the end of which he was killed by Lugaid's son, Crimpton Nia Noir. Crimpton Nia Noir, 12 BC to 5 AD, son of Lugaid Riov Naderic. Lugaid is said to have fathered Crimpton on his own mother, Clothru, daughter of Ocu Fedlek. Clothru was thus both his mother and his grandmother. Ocu Fedlek is best known as the father of the legendary Queen Maeve of Connacht. The myth and legend of Queen Maeve, Fionn McCool and Cúchulain will be told in greater detail in future podcasts. I know some of these Irish old names and their pronunciations and spellings are difficult and may not be well understood. But if you want any explanation of them, you can contact me on my email, jjkenny10 at gmail.com.
battles 